Okay, I'm gonna be reading 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Welcome back, everybody. We are, uh, we are back from a long winter break. I felt like it was longer this year than usual. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but I hope your break, it was refreshing, and you hopefully feel a little bit rejuvenated as we come back and start another semester of life in college. And so it's great to be back in one of my favorite places to be, standing in this room, uh, delivering God's Word at the Standard in front of you all together. And so we're going to be back in James at uh, next Monday night, we'll be back in our series in James. So for those of y'all who are new, last semester we walked through a little bit of the book of James and we'll finish the rest of it uh, this semester. Um, but I thought we would kick off the springs with a little bit of something different um, as we jump into this new year. Maybe a little bit of vision for 2023 uh, for college life. In the title of tonight's message, it comes from a statement that R.D., one of our teaching pastors, made uh, a couple of Sundays ago. You'll see it on the screen. Uh, and I think it captures kind of the heart that me and Abby have for this year in college life. This statement is, not more than, but more of. So, not more than Jesus, but more th of Jesus. Not more than his spirit, but more of the spirit. Not more than the gospel, but more of the gospel. You see, that's what we honestly need each and every day as we wake up. Um, yeah, that's what we need each and every new semester and every stage of life, every new year. So that's my hope tonight is to kind of reorient our focus back um, on Jesus as we begin this new semester and we journey through these next few weeks together. But I'm going to pray for us before we jump into our passage uh, tonight. But Father, I thank you for this time and your word. God, you say in Psalm 107 that you send out your word to heal your people and you deliver them by it from their destruction. And so, Jesus, I just pray that your word, it would speak with great power. Jesus, you are a God who wants to be known. You are not far off. You are a God who is near. And so, Father, what we know not, would you teach us? What we have not, Lord, would you give us? Uh, what we are not, God, would you make us? Um, all for the sake of your Son and His glory by the power of your Spirit in us. Amen. And so tonight I've broken down our time kind of into four uh, stages or four points of this text. Um, and each of these are kind of a core desire or a core word uh, that we have for our students uh, in college life moving forward this semester. And I'll walk through those four stages uh, qu kind of quickly right now and then we'll walk through them slowly as we journey through the sermon. But those four words are this, belong, Behold, become, and for those who are OCD, I had to kind of think of a word that kind of worked with bees, but uh, the last one will be be sent. So belong, behold, become, and then be sent. That's the kind of the four stages of tonight's message. That's the heartbeat of what I think we long to kind of invite you into um, this year in this spring in college life. And so all these words are going to build up, they're going to kind of build off each other. So they'll kind of uh, get more and more clarity on what we mean as we journey through this sermon. Uh, because Jesus... Um, and what we want at College Life is we want to be a people who are a part of, who abide deeply in Jesus as a deeply formed disciple. And then we begin to live sent as disciples of Jesus who make disciples. And so if you have your Bibles or your Bible app ready, go ahead and grab them. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 3.18. Emma just read it for us. 
We'll be spending a majority of our time slowly walking through this text. You're going to see it in the PowerPoint. Uh, Grant, as he was making this PowerPoint, was probably like, oh my God, I've had to do this verse like 48 times in 48 different ways. Uh, but if you, when you get to 2 Corinthians 3.18, say, I got it. There we go. That lets me know. We're ready. Uh, but this is what Scripture says. Uh, and it's this. Paul says, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So in this short passage, uh, there's truths that I think we need to be reminded of as we uh, begin this new semester. And um, there's, there's also hope in this text for um, kind of weary, maybe broken Christians about how God longs to make you new. Maybe you've been struggling in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you need to be reminded of the hope that's in this text. There's confidence for God's people that God's Spirit's going to do what He's promised He's going to do in us. There's power in here when we believe it, and it's going to transform our lives with Jesus when we begin to implement it. So let's jump in. That first, that first point being belong. Uh, belong. So this comes straight from one of our core, core, core words. That's hard to say. Core word. I still can't say it. Core words. Got to say it slow, Brian. Uh, of college life. We long to be a place where students can simply belong. A place where you can, uh, another way you say it is you could find your people. Find your place. And we're going to look at the, only the first three words of that verse. That little simple thing of, and we all. And we all. We all with unveiled faces. So Paul, he's speaking to a church in 2 Corinthians 3 who are in need of a theological correction. He's trying to correct them. But he also wants to give them hope in their walks with Jesus. I don't, we're not going to get into the details of this letter, but I want to make a simple point here that I think we can infer from those three words. Um, and, that be, and that's this. We need a people to belong to in our walks with Jesus. We need a community to kind of lock arms with if we're going to follow Jesus. And I have a couple of points that I think will help you see this with greater clarity as we walk through each of them. Because the first point, I think it'll be on the screen, it's first, belonging or community is essential to our flourishing as Christians. Community or belonging, it is essential to our flourishing as Christians. You could even say it's mandatory to, for our flourishing as Christians. Because we live in a, in a Christian culture that I think is implicitly uh, creating Christians who are individualistic and consumeristic. I don't think they mean to do it. I don't think there's people saying, how can we make these people only think about themselves and forget community and forget the need of the church? Uh, but we hear it all the time. I've heard it as a college pastor. I've been doing this for eight years. But I'll hear students tell me, it's like, Brian, I, I, it's just me and Jesus. I don't really need anyone or anything else. I, I got all I need. And uh, we have 31 different podcasts that we listen to of our favorite teachers and our favorite preachers. We have a couple of different Sunday morning church streams that we like to hop in and out of to get our little uh, church fix. And we believe that if we're faithful to those things, we're actually walking in health as Christians. And I'm not here to say that those, doing those things is sinful. So don't hear me say that. I'm not saying that. You're not walking in sin if that's true about you. But these people, they are living an expression of Christianity that is foreign to Jesus. And is foreign to the history of the church. And it's foreign to the New Testament. A.K.A. they don't know a, that kind of Christianity can even exist based off the New Testament. And so God, he made you for community. 
He made you for people to belong to, to be a part of. And you're lacking in your discipleship. You're lacking in your formation to Jesus if you aren't in it. And many of you may be asking the question, how is that true? Or um, how is that bad, Brian? I'm getting all that I need. Prove it to me that this is true. I have a couple of quick points for this. First, God himself is communal. God himself is communal. God exists in a community in and of himself. We believe in a triune God. He's three in one. In perfect community, in perfect harmony, is just who he is. Genesis 1, we see it. It says the spirit hovers over the water and he sees it. And, and, in, and in verse 1, or Genesis 1, 26, it's God. He says, let us. The Trinity comes together and says, let us make man in our image. After our likeness. So God, he is communal in and of himself. So um, that means a few things for us. It means that we cannot know God fully if we're not living in community. If God is community in and of himself, we can't know him fully if we're not walking in community. If we're living isolated or maybe individualized Christianity, it's actually help, we're actually not living out God's image in us. Not, at least not fully. It's marred. It's not fully expressed. So number one, God is communal in and of himself. Secondly, God, he saved us for belonging. Or you could say he saved us for community. So all you have to do is skim through the New Testament. A few, you can probably just pick a random passage in the New Testament and you're going to see some kind of community aspect to it. Um, but there's no such thing as a Christian living apart from community in any of the 29 New Testament books. When God saved you, he, he called you into belonging. He called you into a people for himself, first and foremost. He engrafted you into his new family. We say that language all the time at fellowship. You're a new person in a new family on a new mission because it's true. So let's look at a couple of passages that I think is going to make this point clear. Titus 2. This is Paul speaking, speaking to one of his young whippersnapper disciples, Timothy, who was a young pastor, probably 18 years old, which is crazy to think that an 18-year-old was a pastor and elder of a church. Uh, but Titus, he says this. He's explaining what Jesus has done in the gospel. He says, he gave himself, Jesus, for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. The formation of a people for himself is one of the main reasons Jesus went to the cross. To create a family for himself. A people who belong to him. We love to emphasize, and this is true, we love to emphasize Jesus' death on the cross for our redemption and for our salvation, which is 100% true. We sing about it. We're going to celebrate it every week here. And we can't celebrate it enough. But I think often we neglect the other truth. The other purpose of Jesus' death, it was to purchase a people, a family for himself. We see it again in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. Uh, this is Peter speaking. He says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises or the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Here's the truth. Once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. You had not, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I could have just picked it. There's 20 texts I could have picked. Um, we could probably win the whole sermon just walking through this point. But God, he made you for community. And he, by the grace of the gospel, he has recreated you for community. 
So God not only made you in his image for community, but when he saved you, he recreated you for community. You were recreated to bear fruit in the family of God. And so you are walking malnourished in your life with Jesus if you're living apart from his people. And I'm not here to bring shame. This isn't shame. It's not condemnation. There's grace uh, for, you, for those who may not be experiencing this. But I'm just here to say, Jesus, he's rigged the system a certain way. And it doesn't work if you're not working or walking in light of his uh, rigging. And so again, belonging or community, it's essential to our flourishing. Secondly, belonging is a core longing in our current moment. So belonging is a core longing in our current cultural moment. So though we live in the most connected age in history, we do. With social media and all the, all the access and how quick we can get places. You can travel the world now so fast. Uh, we're probably the most connected age in the history of human civilization, but we are also the most lonely. And we're also the most isolated. People today, they're craving uh, to find their people to be a part of. Jeannie Allen, in her book, Find Your People, uh, she describes our current world this way. It's going to be a long quote, but I hope you can, <laughs> you can keep up. But it says this, We spend our evenings and weekends tucked into our little residences with our little family or our roommates or alone. Staring at our little screens. We make dinner for just us, and we never want to trouble our neighbors for anything. We fill a small little crevice called home with everything we could possibly need. We keep our doors locked at night. We lock it tight. Uh, and we feel all safe and sound, but we've completely cut ourselves off from people outside of our little self-protected world. We may feel comfortable and safe and independent and entertained, but also we feel completely sad. And the good news of the gospel is that it's for the lonely. God himself says in Psalm 68, 6, that God sets the lonely in families. It's his design. In other words, he sees those who are longing for belonging, and he, by the gospel, saves them and gives them a people to be a part of. It's just who he is. And so in 2023, I got to get used to saying that, uh, and beyond, we want to be a people we want to be a community. We want to be a place um, where those who are living, maybe this lonely or isolated Christian life could begin to find a real family here, a real people to be a part of where they can, be, uh, where they can belong with honesty and hope as we each of us seek to take our messy next step with Jesus together. So that's the first point, belong. Secondly, our next point tonight is behold. We'll go back to our guiding text again, 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord. Yeah. In 2023, we also want to be a place where students can begin to hold, or can be a place where students can behold Jesus together. We want to help establish rhythms in your life where you can get into the presence of Jesus. Monday night being one of those. It's just one of the expressions that we behold Jesus. Um, because the beauty of the gospel is now that we get to come into the presence of God unaltered. We have access to God that, that, that never existed before the age of Jesus. That, that's Paul's main point, 2 Corinthians 3. He's saying that the law it, or uh, the old covenant, it only limited, it only hindered us from beholding God fully. It kept us at, a, at an arm's length. In a real sense, it only veiled us. It's, it only veiled us from actually being able to behold Jesus rightly, or God rightly. That's why the Jews in the Old Testament, they had to have a temple, and they had to have a priest to mediate their, their relationship with God. 
To, um, uh, but Paul is saying he's declaring here that because of the gospel, because of this work of Jesus, his perfect life, his wrath-consuming death in our place, and his glorious resurrection where he promises to come back again, he's given us, those who trust and believe in him, unaltered access to God. Unaltered access to God. Because the Spirit now dwells in you. It dwells in us. Um, and we have Jesus, this perfect mediator, it says in 1 Timothy 2. We can behold and know God in a way that was unimaginable before Jesus. What? That's just incredible access. That's incredible news. Um, God, he's not holding you at arm's, at arm's length, at distance. He's actually longing to invite you into communion with himself, and he's doing it eagerly. He's waiting. He's, he's pursuing. He's, he's removed this veil that was be between us and him. And now he's saying, you can see me rightly. You can see me for who I really am. And because of Jesus, we can, as the author in Hebrews 4 declares to us, we can come to God with confidence we can approach his throne of grace. Where in the Old Testament, they, they came with fear before God's mercy seat. They literally had to tie the high priest. They had to tie a rope around his waist when he entered into the Holy of Holies. Just in case he died, they could drag him out. That's, how, that's, that's the fear they had. If he did not properly atone for the sin of Israel and he tried to stand before the presence of God, he would perish. And they would have to drag him out. And then they'd have to, they would have to raise up another high priest. But now we don't have that. We have, we have boldness and confidence when we come before God because of the work of Jesus, not because of anything in us. But as we think about this point of beholding Jesus, I have a simple question. Um, what are some things in your life that are keeping you from beholding him? You see, we have this special access where we can know and behold God in a way that we that, that, that could never known before. But that doesn't mean we set up hindrances in our life to seeing him rightly. There's an old Indonesian proverb that says this. It'll be on the screen. Even the smallest penny, even the smallest penny can block out the sun if you hold it close enough to your eye. Even the smallest thing, if we let it get close enough or even loud enough, in our lives, it can begin to block this, our vision of Jesus. Anything can do this. Something as simple as a relationship can hinder your vision of Jesus. Something like the pursuit of success. Even good things like acceptance or love from other people can become so large in our lives, it begins to keep us from seeing Jesus rightly and fully. Subtle things like wealth, pleasure, power, a political tribe, an affiliation that you just have to give yourself to, a job, maybe even school, etc. You can name it. They all can have a tendency to, we have a tendency in us, as John Calvin says, we are an idol creating factory in our hearts. We make simple things the ultimate thing. And it begins to block our vision of Jesus. It only hinders us from seeing him rightly. So I know I fall captive to those things. So I'm not here coming from, a, from like an arrogance to get your act together, I'm here saying, I, I have these things too, but what is it for you? What's keeping you from Jesus, uh, seeing Jesus rightly? Because I would exhort you to do whatever it takes to, to remove that and to get your eyes on Jesus. To get rid of anything that's keeping you from seeing him fully. And we long to be a place that only intensifies your, your, your uh, vision of him. Seeing him for who he really is. Why? Which leads me to my third point, become. 
become. And we'll keep reading in our passage in 2 Corinthians 3. It says this, And we all, with unveiled faces, are beholding the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So why do we need to get our eyes on Jesus? Why do we need to make it a rhythm to behold Jesus? Because he says that as we do it, he transforms us um, uh, more into his image. The text says we begin to become like what we behold. That's the promise that, that he makes to us. We will become more like him. And because the truth is, what, uh, we become what we behold most. Because what we behold most has our affection. It has our heart. has our time. And I'll say it again. We become like what we behold most. So God, in his word here, he's telling us how we're formed spiritually, how we grow in this discipleship to Jesus. It's, he makes it simple. Just, just make it a constant rhythm to get into my presence where you can behold me unaltered, and I promise I'm going to make you like myself. That's what he's saying in this text. And it's really that simple. But because something is simple doesn't make it easy. The game of soccer is a pretty simple sport, but I'm pretty bad at it. It's because it takes skill and it takes um, rhythm and practice to, to, to cultivate uh, what you need to do it well. It's just like the author in Hebrews 12. He says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a large crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that, that easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author or the pioneer the beginning, the one who establishes it, the one who created it, but he's also the perfecter. He's the one who completes it. And so you want to be holy? Get your eyes on Jesus. You want power in your Christian walk? Get your eyes on Jesus. You want to stop struggling with that nagging sin in your life? Get your eyes on Jesus. And I love the next part of our passage because it, it brings me joy and comfort in my messy life. My, my, my messy, often... Uh, a dirty walk with Jesus, it says this, and we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, what are we doing? We're being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. From one degree of glory to another. In other words, our spiritual formation, our discipleship to Jesus' image, it's a process. And it takes time. It takes time for us to mature. It takes time for us to be formed into Jesus' image. It's not going to happen overnight. It's more like slowly but surely. Slowly but surely I'm going to make you like myself. And doesn't that, it, doesn't that give you hope? Doesn't that give you freedom in your walk with Jesus? That you can be messy? That you don't have to have it figured out? That your growth in holiness and Christ-likeness, it's progressive, it's not instant? So when, you, um, when you're seeing more bad fruit in your life than good, you can take heart. Because, and, and you can join in with Paul when he says in Philippians 1, 6, with confidence, he says this, I am sure of this, that he who started that good work in you, he's going to bring it to completion until the day of Christ. Paul was sure of it. He was confident in God's promise to form him more into the image of Jesus. But he's, but he's also confident and sure that God's going to do it at his pace, not Paul's. So he rested in God's pace, not his. So we can have heart and we can have confidence in our own uh, walk with Jesus as well. And the truth is this transformation, this kind of formation, this maturation, it's not a work that we're doing anyways. The text tells us at the end when it says this, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This work that's happening in you, this growth, this maturation, it's a work of Jesus and his Spirit in us. 
We are merely collaborating with his spirit. Now, doesn't that give you even more freedom in this pursuit of Jesus? The, the spirit, whether you see it or not, is slowly but surely forming you into the image of Jesus as you begin to behold him. That doesn't mean we don't, we don't play a role in it, though. This isn't saying I kind of take my, my hands off the wheel and I kind of let it go. And whatever the Spirit does, He kind of does. A lot of people have that approach to spiritual formation. It's going to kind of just happen as I, as I just kind of try to follow Jesus. There's a part that we play. Um, we, we have our part of getting into the presence of Jesus, getting to behold Him for His Spirit to do His transforming work. As it says in 1 Timothy 4.7, this is Paul, he says, Have nothing to do with silly, reverent myths. This is the part I want you to get. He says, but rather train yourself. Train yourself for godliness. That Greek word train, it's the same word they would use for Olympic wrestlers in ancient Greece. It, was, it meant to get sweaty, get to work, do your part. So um, it's, it's physical labor, it's training uh, that that word's connoting. And so we have to get um, sweaty. I don't actually, actually, that was a bad. I said, we need to get sweaty in our discipleship. And I just read it and I'm like, that doesn't, that doesn't sound good. Uh, but you get the point. <laughs> That's the bro. I knew he played it. I was waiting for it. Uh, but the truth is, we don't just play this passive role. Sit idly by. But we get to come and we get to work with the Spirit as he does his transforming work in us. And so that's why we're serious at College Life. We're serious about helping you grow. We're serious about this word formation. We, we want to help create rhythms of abiding deeply in Jesus. Being able to open up his word, spending time in prayer, cultivating spiritual disciplines and practices in your life. Because those practices, they're channels that allow the spirit to work in you. That's all they are. They're not the means to an end. They are just merely a channel for the Spirit to work. And the reality is all of this growth, all of this formation, all of this maturation, it's, it's, it's empowered by grace. All of it's empowered by grace. All of our work of formation, it should be empowered by the gospel. It should be motivated by it. That we are saved by Jesus' mercy and grace alone. And it's that grace that then motivates us to bear fruit. It's that grace that then empowers us to take steps with Jesus. Contrary to what we may believe, grace, it doesn't enable passivity in our Christian life, but it motivates getting to work in our Christian life. Which brings me to my final point, uh, be sent. Um, this is going to be kind of a quick point, concluding point, uh, because all of this belonging, this beholding and becoming, it should lead us to begin to live missionally as disciples of Jesus. So you see Jesus in the passage, you'll see it on the screen, John 20, 21, he makes it clear who his people are to be. Jesus says this, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Just as the Father sent me, Jesus, to redeem and to reconcile, now you are sent to call others to be reconciled to me, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5. I love the, I love the beginning of that passage. Um, where it said, Jesus, he had to tell them again. He had to tell them again. That simple word again. It's like they and us need to be reminded over and over again that our formation, our discipleship is meant to impact those around us. It's like we need to be reminded of that. Get your eyes off of, your, off of yourself. Uh, my pastor in college, he'd always say, stop navel-gazing in your Christian life. Get your eyes up. 
take a step. And he makes it clear um, that you were saved. Jesus is making it clear that you were saved for a new mission, this new purpose to begin to leverage your life. Your ordinary and simple life for the sake of those around you who may not know Jesus or those who do know Jesus. Jesus makes it clear again in Matthew 28. These are Jesus' last words before he ascends to the Father. So they're probably pretty important. Uh, But it says this, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What is making disciples? It's baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's teaching them to observe everything that I commanded you. And remember though, I'm with you. He's actually saying, remember though, I'm the one who's actually doing it. You're you're merely called to walk in faithfulness. And so Jesus' last words to his followers is a commission. It's an invitation to go multiply. And that calling is on each of our lives as we seek to follow Jesus. It's not going to look the same for each of us. It doesn't mean everybody does the same thing in this mission. But it is commanded of each of us. And so we want to help you grow as a deeply formed disciple of Jesus who can make disciples of Jesus. And so to begin to leverage your life for the sake of others, knowing and growing in their love for Jesus. And so each week... As we close our Monday night gatherings, we're going to close it with a simple benediction every week. It's going to be, remember, um, remember you are sent. That's going to be the last words you'll hear from us each Monday night. Just as a reminder, as it says in John 20, Jesus had to say it to him again. So we'll say it each and every week to help you remember your calling. To know Jesus personally and deeply and then also to multiply that to those around you. Not to shame you into his mission. That's not what we're doing. Shame won't motivate you very long. You might work for a little while, but it won't last. But to invite you, to call you, Jesus longs to use you. He he longs to use your ordinary, simple, daily faithfulness. It doesn't take, this isn't rocket science. He's saying, just walk in faithfulness and obey me today and I'll use you. It's that simple. Use your gifts. Use these passions in you for the sake of those around you. And as I close, the good news to us is this. Jesus is the one doing all the work, not us. Our call is to just walk in faithfulness. Our, our call is to just pray for boldness and walk in confidence to trust him and, 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 the, and to trust him with the, with the fruit of what we do. He promises to be with us. He promises to empower us. He promises to use us with his spirit for the work that he's the one that's calling us to do. He's, so he's not saying, uh, I called you to do this, and then he kind of sits idly by and lets it kind of happen. No, he's saying, I called you into this, and I'm going to give you what you need to accomplish it. I'm going to provide all that you need to accomplish it. And, and that just gives me freedom as a pastor where I do this day in and day out. He, he's saying, my job as a college pastor, it isn't to, to create or cultivate fruit in you. He's, call, he's not saying that. He's saying, Brian, your job is to faithfully lead them into the presence of myself and leave the fruit to my spirit. Do, that is your job. That's your mission. Brian, I don't have to manufacture the, I don't have to man, manufacture the fruit. I merely get to show up faithfully and, and, and seek to obey him. And now that's something all of us can do. Show up and walk in faithfulness. And it's the same thing for you. You just show up and respond to his call with daily faithfulness and trusting the fruit to him. 
and walking in the, in, in, in the power of the Spirit each day. So we long to be a place that calls you to belong to Jesus' new family um, with us <laughs> because it's vital to, in your relationship. It's vital in your discipleship to Jesus. We long to be a place where students can, with unaltered vision, behold Jesus So uh, that we can be a place where students can, as they behold Jesus, slowly but surely begin to look more like him. And as they are growing more into his image, they live in such a way that invites others into life with Jesus as they live sent. That's a vision that I can get excited about. That's a calling I can give my life to. And tonight, that's the invitation to each of you. More of Jesus, not more than Jesus. Let's pray. Um, Father, I thank you for tonight. I uh, thank you for the power of your gospel, Jesus. I've just been um, encouraged by a passage, a simple passage in Jude, where Jude, or where Paul says that, um, I know what Jude says, amen. Uh, Jude says that for those who know Jesus, his spirit had to snatch them away from the evil one. So each of us, by your grace, by your spirit, have been snatched away from the dominion of the evil one. And you say in Colossians 1 that you have transferred each of us into the dominion of light, your beloved kingdom. And so Jesus, thank you for doing that. And Jesus, not only that, you long to make us more like yourself and you'll do whatever it takes to do it. And so Jesus, I pray that we would be a place where students can find their people. I pray that they could feel like this is a place where they belong where they can walk in hope and honesty, empowered by your Spirit, to take steps of faith with you as they behold you, but believing that you want to make them more like yourself as they do that. All for the sake of them um, living as sent people for your glory. And so Jesus empowers with the boldness, the confidence to do that. It is a risk. It is a risk. But Jesus, we believe your word is true. We know the end. And so our response, our call is to merely obey and to walk in daily faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.